Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello there. Welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. I'm Enda Call in case you've forgotten who I am. I was busy off doing some PR for Liam Scales over the last couple of weeks, so I haven't been able to do the show. Busy times being the PR man for the best left back, left centre back in the SPFL right now. So as you can imagine, I haven't been able to do the huddle breakdown for a couple of weeks, but I I was replaced by Jiggle James. Hello. Hello, hello. Hi, how are you doing? And by Ann Morrison as well. The two guys have had an almighty pay rise over the last couple of weeks, taking over on uh, the hosting and co-hosting duties so um, hey, don't, don't 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 forget production and post-production that you've dumped well, on well, me that's, too so that, that's true so don't feel too sorry for them they have been paid well for their duties over the last number of weeks uh, on tonight's show we're going to be talking about the livingston away three nil celtic were victors against livingston in the tony macaroni arena we're going to be talking about some contract movement it looks like rio hatate is due to sign a new contract with Celtic, as was the case for several mainstays at Celtic so far this season. And we're going to be looking at the momentum that Celtic seem to be starting to build now with some nice little patterns of play finally appearing. It seems to be that Brendan Rodgers had a plan all along and it is starting to reveal itself as the season really gets started. So that's all coming up on today's show. Today is a live stream, a rare live stream. I haven't done one in a while. So if you are watching on YouTube, do feel free to get involved in the comments below and we'll try to get to some of these as normal or as was the case when we used to do the live streams all the time. Um, Alan, I want to kick it off with a little theory that I had and something I got in trouble for at the weekend was uh, twinning that uh, Dyson Maida was a terrible footballer. Now, it just so happened that this tweet went out roughly about two minutes before he did a little Cruyff turn and then banged one into the top corner with his bad foot. Uh, so ill-timed, we'll say, ill-timed uh, was my comments about Dyson But I want to clarify something. There is a difference between me saying he's a bad player and me saying he's a bad footballer. So here's my theory. I have a theory that you can be a really good player, really valuable to the team, a valuable teammate. You can contribute to the team as a good player, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're a good footballer. So if you want me to continue on, I would say good footballers that played for Celtic, you know, you've got your Lubos, you've got your Kenny Dalglish, you've got Tom Rodgick in more recent memory, Aidan McGeady, perhaps you could throw in there too. Technical players, players who can pass the ball, move the ball, dribble, you know, they're comfortable on the ball. Dyson is not that, but that does not mean he's a bad player. So I think that's where I was aiming that tweet and i don't know if you agree with me there <laughs> oh you, you want me to help you over hole? is that what you're saying <laughs> i want you to tell me why i was right about saying maida was a bad football player footballer 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 not a bad player so bad listen footballer. you know yeah listen football is a is a game of many facets and and actually 90 90 of of football is what you do off the ball because you, you know, again, 
you're uh, a player is on the ball for probably a minute 30 seconds 90 seconds maybe significantly less than that um in 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 a, in a match right so you know and, and this is this is this is the uh, a reminder really about the limitations of of data let's be open about that is that we tend to capture on ball um actions and actions as i say you're talking about um uh, fractions of the time players on the pitch without tracking data which is you know, voluminous and expensive, tracking every run off the ball, tracking positioning, that which is what footballers spend the vast majority of the game doing, uh, being off the ball. Um, you, don't, you you can't get a, a picture of a complete performance. So, and so when we talk about you know footballing performance, we should really should be talking about what they do off the ball, and less so what they do on the ball because it it, it forms such a small part of of what of, of their performance. So <laughs> there you go. So so uh, the thing with with Maida is he's a player who. Firstly, has been repurposed as a, a kind of left winger, nominally, or left-sided forward, when, when really he's always been a striker. So that's the first thing to consider. Second thing I'd say is that he's ahead of Kyogo in the pecking order to be a striker at an international level. And, uh, and thirdly is that, you know, he is a player who, if you look at his data, um, the closest approximation to a player at Celtic, you listed a lot of names there, but the one I would say he's most similar to, and I'll explain why, is probably Jeremy Frimpong. And the reason for that is that he's you know, Maida has got specific skills in a very specific aspect of the game that are probably elite in world football. Um, and, and many of the other aspects of his game are Ordinary, probably, uh, you know, and, and for those that maybe can't remember Frimpong, it wasn't that long ago. But Jeremy Frimpong was a player that Manchester City, frankly, didn't know what to do with. They tried him as a fullback, they tried him as a winger, etc. Tried him as a forward. He couldn't score. He didn't really create much. But he was incredibly fast. He was very small, low centre of gravity, and he could run with the ball at tremendous pace. Um, and that was his super strength. And that single super strength was enough to get him uh, a very lucrative move to Leverkusen. And if rumours are to be believed, you know, big the biggest clubs in Europe were looking at him as a, as a ball carrier, essentially. Now, ball carrying is actually not something that happens very often in football. Um, if you look at, um, let's go back to pack passing, uh, so pack passing forward passes, you might get Celtic might play 70 of those in a match. In terms of pack dribbles, so it's a dribbling pass people, uh, you'd probably be more more like seven or eight, so it's like a tenth of the volume. So, so, so running with the ball is actually quite a niche skill <laughs> in the context, and that's a niche skill within on-ball actions, which are a fraction of what a player does. So, we come back to that point. So, let's come back to Maeda then. What is what is Maeda's super strength? Well, Maeda's super strength, given he's positioned since he's been positioned in this left forward role, is obviously his pressing and counter pressing ability, which you know if you just Let's take a snapshot of, of the game on the weekend. Um, Maeda completed uh, 30 presses. This is where he's sprinting to close down the opposition. He completed 33 of those. The next highest is like 20. And this is a pattern that we've seen throughout the season. I think he's averaging over 23 presses per game. Um, so uh, I've looked back over the data of for pressing since it was available and you know the the only person who comes close to that really is Ryan Christie, uh, in terms of pressing intensity. Um, so you've got pressing, you also got counter pressing. So counter pressing is uh, pressing immediately after you've lost the ball. So slightly different, in, uh, slightly different nuance. And duration. And he tends to, he tends to, you tend to get like six or seven of or eight of those a game, and he tends to be the one that um, uh, has the most again, but not not by much. So he has this super strength. Um, on the other side of the coin, in terms of your know, on ball actions technical ability, if you're assessing a forward, a wide attacker, you're going to be looking at their expected goals, expected assists, if you wanted to really simplify it and boil it down. So if I told you that last season, if you combine those two things, which is expected goals plus expected assists is equals expected scoring contribution, expected scoring contribution from Aida last season was 0.55 per game. So that means that he would be expected to uh, create around about half a goal or an assist per game. To put that into context, um, in no particular order, you'd, you'd had um, Kyogo at 0.9, Jota at 0.8, Haksabanovic at 0.78, 
Abada at 1.14, don't forget that. Uh, and, uh, you know, Giacomakis was at 1.2, uh, mainly because he came on as a sub late in game. So the point being here is that Maeda's nowhere near um, his peers as regards creating chances and getting on the end of chances. So what you've got is you've got somebody who is superb uh, without the ball, who closes down op- the opposition. He, he's almost dribble resistant. What I mean by that is he, you can't get past him if you've got the ball. You have to pass around him. And uh, but 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 on the ball, he's you know probably half as effective as an Abada or a, or a Jota, uh, etc. So. You know, does that support your 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 kind of position that he's he's not a particularly technically skilled footballer, but he does a lot of jobs uh, off the ball uh, to an elite level, and and that is the package with Maeda. Well, that's why he's a professional footballer, and that's why he starts for Celtic because, as Bren Rodgers says, when you go down to ten men, it's almost like you're not down to ten men because of the amount of work he does off the ball and it's also one of the reasons why i will also hold my hands up to those who are at the stadium watching the games as opposed to watching on tv because you get a view of the match that you don't get on tv with watching individual players you see their movement you see what they're doing off the ball you kind of understand why they're in certain positions whereas that's much more difficult to do when you're watching it on a feed that you know is coming from the Tony Macaroni Arena is is it's not it's not ideal viewing. So I I do think, as I said, he's a, I I don't think he's a good footballer, but I do think he is a good player. I do think he contributes to the the team. Uh, James, would you go along with that? I mean, like the 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 issue I have with a player like Maeda is that it's all well and good in the Champions League and things like that, where you genuinely see the actual bones and the 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 good value of having someone who's so elite at counter-pressing as made is but the issue is when you're coming up against scottish sides who mainly park the bus against you that's where you need a more quality you need more quality on the ball as opposed to off the ball i'm generally in agreement um particularly with him as as, as alan said at wing i think there's um you know some limitations there um the one thing i will say from a an analytics perspective and i I don't think it's a great analogy but i'm going to use it anyway um because the the sports are different but uh to a material degree but um there there was some analytics done on and i've mentioned this in the past um if you watch the the last dance about the uh, chicago bulls and michael jordan from the 90s that great team um, their offensive efficiency actually went up on on the the three the last three championships when Dennis Rodman was signed, and Dennis Rodman was kind of a basketball version of Maeda, um, mm-hmm. meaning that he almost you know he wasn't very good off, off, offensively or shooting, um, but he was kind of a maniac defensively and rebounding, and it, it's counterintuitive that um, somebody who does almost nothing. Um, offensively would improve your offense, but, um, you know, that can, uh, in basketball, it helps with, um, transition baskets, fast breaks because of defensive deflections and steals, not dissimilar in, in uh, football with pressing and counter pressing. Um, I, I, I think that the issue with Maeda to your point, and is that this, his usage in that regard domestically is, is so limited, um, and, and I think that there's a, a mental accounting of that, meaning that he, he, you know, we talk about this relative to Hatate's, um, brilliant creative actions kind of leaves an impression that might be disproportionate to his kind of overall production. And I think Maeda's effort and, um, you know, when he does those incredible tracking back, uh, that, you know, almost no one else does or can do, uh, that leaves that impression that we probably and I'm amongst those people. I mean, and we mentally overvalue those um, relative to probably the, the totality of what he offers. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I actually wrote something a couple of weeks on this. This is before um, Abada got hurt, um, which was that, you know, domestically, I, I actually saw him as probably a, um, a backup striker is kind of the ideal role. I mean, that with him and 
because we didn't sign another striker in the window that um, his best role might be is, you know, kind of a one a with, with Kyogo at striker. So um, with a bot out, I think it's a lot more complicated because we haven't really seen enough creative reliability from a Yang. Uh, we don't really know about Palma yet. Um, so, but yeah, I, I, he's a fascinating player. I, I, you know, we have so many of these kind of idiosyncratic, fascinating players at the moment, um, like Abada, <laughs> uh, where they're so good in certain aspects and and uh, so glaringly poor in others. Yeah. An enigma, as he is described in the comments, which is completely true because, again, like I said, he technically he's not very gifted, but then he pulls out that worldly of a, a goal. He like he, he is capable of doing it every now and again, but you're not going to rely on him to do it all the time, which I think is the is the key point. But uh, and in terms of this 3-0 win, Alan, this was a, a very impressive win from Celtic, if not flawed in many ways <laughs> at the same time, uh, not least the continuation of the, the red cards coming Celtic's way. But uh, interesting that when we were talking in the pre-production chat that you picked out Greg Taylor as the player that you found most interesting in this game. Now, Greg Taylor has not been good this season, being frank. It just doesn't seem to be clicking for him. But at least in the first half of this game, he was a creative outlet for Celtic, which is something that we saw from Kieran Tierney playing the role that Brendan Rodgers had him in. So, I mean, what could it be the case that Greg Taylor was just adjusting to being an out-and-out fullback again as opposed to an inverted? So, so I, I, you know, I'll admit that I've probably um, not helped in terms of contributing to the view that Greg Taylor's start to the season has not been great. So I actually dug into that, really. Um, I did a piece which will appear later in the week. Um, looking into into that exact, you know, uh, question of Taylor's form. And what I found was, so, well, let's start with the game at the weekend. First of all, you know, Great thanks to David Martindale for, if he was off form, for basically playing Greg Taylor back into form again by giving him the complete freedom of the left-hand side of of the park. Him and McGregor, actually. It was a remarkable way that, you know... So James often talks about his worry at teams that set up with a a 4-4-2 diamond. This was a variation on that theme, but they just left so much space out wide. It was ridiculous. And Greg Taylor was able to come inside and I think, as James has explained previously... Uh, in his youth days, Taylor was actually a central midfielder. And one of the reasons he can adjust to the uh, inverted role is he's, he's, he's perfectly comfortable and used to playing in that in that position and being in that part of the field. So, um, you know, he just absolutely dominated the ball to a ridiculous extent. I think he had something like 30 more completed passes than any other player. You know, he had something like um, 10 more pack passes than any other player, the most the most notable of which was the ball through to Hitati that generated the penalty uh, where he took out most of the Livingston team with one one through ball. But he was given just ridiculous amounts of time and space to do that. I don't know what Martindale was trying to do, but um, you know, letting Taylor and McGregor run the game, I suspect, wasn't what he intended. Um, so so that, that was great to see Taylor on the ball and making uh, an impact on the game on the ball. And the reason I sort of emphasise that is that if you look at his performances this season and look at the data, and you break, tend to break break player performance down into into sort of um, four components: defending, uh, ball progression, creativity, and goal threat. Very simplistically, um, and if you look at Taylor this season, his 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 data is well down um, on on the first sort of three of those really in terms of um you know his back passing is down you know his um his, his number of uh, expected assists his chances it's creating is is well down as well he's not getting in the box as often he's not putting as many balls into the box he's not putting many balls into dangerous areas and he's giving the ball away a, a bit more which is something i'd noticed i mean apart from the finer game where Celtic obviously didn't have as much possession. I think he gave away eight passes in every other game this season. He's in double figures for misplaced passes. Um, now, Gabe Taylor has this issue, and actually him and Hitati have the same issue, if you, if you notice. 
the first 10 to 20 minutes of a game, they give the ball away a disproportionate amount of times and then they settle down. And it's incredibly similar in that regard. You know, after it's not uncommon for them both to be 50-50, passes complete, incomplete after about 15 minutes, and then they settle down and they start, the passes sort of start to complete. And that sort of stresses less well, the better standard of the opposition, obviously. But, but, but to come back to Taylor then, what, what I did find also with Taylor is that his defensive numbers have actually improved quite dramatically uh, this season. And 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 so, you know, if you think about perception, what what is what are we as Celtic fans, how how is our perception going to be driven in terms of you know player performance? It's probably going to be heavily influenced by what people do on the ball, and especially attacking because Celtic are dominating most games. So when when you see a player who's getting you know less touches in the box, creating less chances, you know, expected assists are down, etc you know, you sort of think, oh, they're, they're not having a good season. And, and you know, pack, packing is a bit mixed. He's, he's not, he's pack passing's down, but his receiving is up. So that suggests that off the ball, you know, his movement's good. He's getting into good positions. He's finding ways to kind of get on the ball. He is turning it over more, which again is something that we tend to draw attention to in our eyes, really. So all, all of that being said then, but what, what, what has improved, as I say, is his defensive contribution. Um, you know, his, his number of his, his volume of defensive activity, but also his defensive um, efficiency. That I measure that by defensive action success and possessions won through defensive actions. Bit of a mouthful, but they tend to measure the quality of the defending, and 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 all those things are up. So now, context: is it because you know Celtic have, have however many games Celtic have played this season? Eight games, is it? Two of them have been, um, you know. Down, down to 10, nine, nine players. Has he had to do more defending? Is it just a function of that? Is his, has his role changed? Is he asked to be being asked to play more of a traditional fullback role? If you look at his heat map, there certainly isn't the... If you look at his heat map last season, you'll see the red zone come into the middle of the opposition half, as in he's getting on the ball in a sort of traditional central midfielders type role. This season... There's less of that, and also he's not getting as forward as much. So, so there's a little bit of maybe his role slightly changed, and therefore his defensive um, uh, you know, contribution has gone up because that's what he's been asked to do, and, and or maybe it's because he's actually improved a little bit in, in, in that regard as well. He's, he's more mature. Defenders tend to sort of you know get better as they get older in that in that sense. So, um, yeah, definitely not as good on the ball. Livingston game was a great opportunity for him to showcase his. His talents when he's given time on the ball, and he was he was fantastic, and he he virtually ran the game. Um, and also, another thing noteworthy I'll say about his performance on on the weekend is that when when um, Celtic went down to, um, I know we're going to get on to sort of Rogers a little bit, but when when Celtic went down to, to ten players, and Rogers very calmly, very immediately told Colin McGregor what he wanted, um, Greg Taylor actually shifted shifted slightly inside and didn't actually change his position to what he had been when Celtic had 10 men. So it effectively meant that Celtic were playing a 3-4-2. Um, so although, although although in transition it looked a little bit like a 4-3-2, a it was actually more of a th- more of a 3-4-2. Johnson just switched around a little, Taylor tucked in a little bit in midfield. And I think that that meant that Celtic never never lost a grip of the midfield, and they also had that extra spare man on the on the in the wide midfield area. So that was a very smart from Rogers. But Taylor is capable of doing that. So I think that was you know credit to him for um, mm. for adjusting to that to that role. So you, you know this is this is this is one of the reasons I, I do Celtic by numbers is you know there's a perception of a player always oh, rubbish or he's brilliant. The reality is usually somewhere in the middle, and with Greg Taylor, it is definitely yeah, definitely the case. Mm. I definitely noticed the giving the ball away. I think that's the most jarring and probably why the perception of Greg Taylor playing so badly this year is there is that last year he was so safe in possession. His passing, I think he had one of the highest possession retention rates with his passing last year. Um, You could always rely on him to make the right up, to take the right option. And this year, it just seems like he's given the ball away more and more and more. And that's what these are definitely the things that fans notice. Uh, in terms of his defensiveness or his defensive improvements, I'm a little bit surprised to hear that, James, because if you look at where Celtic are having the issues, it's it's still sort of like, it's it seems a little bit like Liam Scales has been cleaning up after Greg Taylor at times, but maybe that's just the way that Celtic are playing, that it's, you know, balls are still coming up over the top of the defence down the left-hand side because Greg Taylor's forward a little bit more, I don't know. 
Yeah, so that's a, an example of um, a limitation of defensive statistics as far as event uh, data goes, um, because, you know, if a center back or a fullback allows uh, an attacking player to get in behind because of poor positioning, you know, that's not going to get picked up directly. Um, so, yeah, I think there's some of that. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I agree with Alan as far as his on-ball defending has been been um, pretty good. Um, I, I think that the, the issue with, we'll call it vomiting up the ball, cause it seems to be an, <laughs> become an epidemic, <laughs> um, is, you know, it's, it's probably some combination of, um, the, the chopping and changing in the team, which is a lot of been driven by injuries, relative lack of quality in some of those players and what they're being asked to do probably ill-suited for some of the roles that they're going to play uh, at Celtic um, and just adopting a new way of playing and, you know, positionally probably being asked to do some different things. So, you know, it became, uh, we've talked about this in the past, it became such a, a muscle memory thing and patterns of play um, that to switch all that up, you're just not going to be as fluid um, understandably at the beginning of that transition period. So I, I think that we throw all that together I and mean, we've been a bit of a mess on the ball as a team. And I think it's easy to pick any of these players out. I mean, even Cal McGregor has been not real great in that regard. And that's yeah. something that's obviously a, been a huge strength of his over time. So, um, you know, when someone like him is having an issue with it, I think the fact that Taylor is speaks to that as well. Um, you know, I, I, I think, we've talked about this over and over. I mean, the, the big issue with him is, is the athletic part and, you know, a game like um, the weekend is just not going to tax him in that regard. And as Alan said, uh, Mr. Martindale made that even easier um, and, and not, you know, putting anybody on him to, to, to try and force that issue. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, as long as he's put in the right position and, and um, when I say right position, I mean that, the role that he's being asked to play highlights some of his positives. You know, there's, there's no problem with him at the SPFL level. And and I don't expect that to be other than, you know, maybe theoretically against Rangers, which again, they've been such a basket case that hasn't been an issue. Mm. I think we'll talk about this player later on the podcast when we're talking about the quality of Celtics play and the improvements, but uh, Frank Brennan says that O'Reilly still isn't consistent enough, still doesn't score enough goals, and also gives away avoidable silly free kicks from outside the penalty area that lead directly to goals uh, by you-know-who and Feyenoord. Um, Well, what I would say is that Matt O'Reilly is the league's top goal scorer and uh, was the highest contributor to goals for Celtic last season as well, so I would yeah, I, I'd say that's nonsense, <laughs> to be honest, that Matt O'Reilly doesn't uh, contribute enough to goals in terms of uh, playing for Celtic so far. Because, again, he got on the score sheet at the weekend, and, again, it was a, a really good performance from Matt O'Reilly, in my opinion. But um, we'll move to a different midfielder, and that is Rio Hatate, because it looks like he's going to be signing a new deal after a bit of filibustering, it has to be said, that, you know... It, seems that these talks have taken a little bit longer than maybe Brendan Rodgers and Celtic would have liked, but it has been wider, widely reported that he's due to sign a new contract now, and that lead, that brings the new contracts to Kyogo, Abada, Maeda, McGregor, uh, Ralston signed one, and Stephen Welsh as well. So that's an exceptional bit of business from Celtic over the, the course of the summer and the course of the season as well. Um, in terms of getting those new contracts. And James, we'll talk about Tate specifically in a second, but in terms of what this does for Celtic, is this is essentially just building for the future. This is, okay, we're getting our higher earners on higher contracts that will allow us to spend more money on wages in the future and hopefully attract some new names without you know, tarnishing our wage structure altogether. And also it protects the assets like Abada. Yeah, I, w- I wish I under I had a better um, appreciation for what's going on because um, it as far I mean I get that relative to somebody like um, Kyogo or Cal McGregor who you know based on their ages and their role at the club it, they're kind of capstone players that you're looking to probably keep for the next 
two, three seasons at least. Um, when when you start doing it with players like Abada and um, Hitate, the question become falls back to the issue I've talked about endlessly, which is um, where where is the coherent, proactive player trading model? And to me, this these kind of contracts for Abada and and um, Hitate, I think you know we don't know all the details, obviously, of the contracts, but from what I've read, they were both on very long term deals already. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, so it almost seems like their uh, improved terms would be to try and get them to stay longer, which, you know, again, to me is against the idea of the player trading model. Um, so, you know, if you already have somebody on a four-year deal, I'm not sure why, you know, if the idea is most likely they're going to move on within the next 12 to 18 months, um, why, you know, there's no real negotiating requirement to to give them more money. Obviously, you may want to be fair and keep the, you know, the brackets of compensation in, in alignment. Um, but so I, I think if it was within a long period of evidence of, a coherent player trading model, then um, it's oh, okay. Well, may, maybe maybe that makes sense, yeah. but I'm probably more skeptical because uh, the evidence has been to the contrary. Well, for from my understanding of how player contracts work in professional football, and again, I'm no expert in it, but from my understanding, it is generally the case that a club will purchase the remaining time on the contract so they will pay out for any remaining wages in the period of time they have left at the club so even if that is just an extra what is it let's say uh for hatata you're probably looking at an extra 25 30k per week over the course of an extra two years like that is money that Celtic could be leaving on the table if they don't give them those extra couple of years on their contract so i mean if they're not shifting them out this summer or next summer, I guess it sort of makes sense to at least have that on the books and have them signed down in case some in case the offers don't come a knocking and eventually the the asset you know devalues over over time. Um, but in terms of the player, Alan, not the asset, uh, just one one really uh, serious question for you: um, Is Hitate good enough? <laughs> for what <laughs> no I, i'm messing i'm messing um I, I mean i think some of the narrative around hadate has shifted slightly uh, since the start of the season in terms of 
maybe his attitude uh, people are questioning and maybe his quality people are questioning over the course of the start of the season. I think he's been quite unlucky with his injuries, to be fair. It's been pretty hard for him to get up to any sort of uh, fitness or momentum over the course. But, uh, I mean, in football terms, do you think this is a good idea for Celtic or the right thing to do to offer a Tate a new deal? Well, he's got two and a half years left on his contract. And, and as James said, I'd have an issue with obviously, listen, you protect your assets. Tati's, um, you know, a first 11, more often than not, a first 11 player. Um, you know, I think somebody said uh, in, in the um, I think strange love, the doctor says it increases the value of the, the asset and rewards them for success. That's, that's I thought that was quite succinct and to the point. And I, I kind of get that. But like James, I'm still I'm not I'm not really understanding. This has nothing to do with Hitati or any other particular player. I'm not understanding what it is that we're trying to achieve as a strategy, um, because as you know, I think we should be turning players over quicker. Um, I don't mean forcing them out the door, but you know, coming back to Hitati, like I say, if if he is happy, he's doing a good job of. Of, of suppressing that, that, that impression, um, but that, as I said last week, that might just be the kids' demeanour. I mean, who knows? Right, we're all different. We all have different ways of expressing ourselves and so forth. So, no harm to him. But um, you know, joking, joking aside, what are we actually trying to achieve? Because we do need to be increasing the volume and value of player sales. It's the only way we're going to grow. I know we've got squillions in the bank, which and I know. That a lot of that is earmarked for capital projects. So I get completely understand that, and it's wise not just to spur, splash it all on new players. It's wise to, um, you know, build what you've actually got and solidify what you've got. Um, it probably all serves to gradually push up the wage bill, right? Which is useful in the sense of attracting new players. Um, but you have to then back that up by continuing success on the field because you need to maintain, you know, a, a wage is not for Christmas. It's for three or four or five years, right? So you've got to, you know, you, you pay for it for a long time and regret it if you don't have the money to to do so as, as others are finding out. So that that's that. those are the dynamics of it. And, 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 and putting all those things together, my simplistic, maybe oversimplistic probably, uh, perspective is that we need to increase the volume value of sales, so the number of players sold and the value that we sell them for, to bring in more money, to to gradually, gradually increase the wage bill to attract incrementally better players to be stronger and therefore get more success specifically in Europe. Okay, and, and that's, it's, it's a slow process, it's not an overnight thing. It's you gradually build your capabilities up and, and, you know, you go from being a bottom of the group to third in the group, third in the group to the last 16 or whatever. You you get there in stages, but this is a sustainable way of doing it. So the, the contract renewals are all well and good, but where is the where is that more aggressive, you know, higher end player trading model that Postacoglu spelt out very clearly in his very uh, uncluttered way of his that Celtic needed to do, we're still not seeing that. And Rogers mm-hmm. is very much saying, well, that's not my job. I'll work with the players that I'm given. It's got to be somebody's job to make sure that that happens. Yeah, well, I mean, I, maybe I'm looking at it from too much of a um, top-line approach, but if you look at the players who Celtic have given contracts to, it's Cal McGregor, who was already the club's top earner, um, Kyogo, the team's best player Maeda who's an experienced international then you have Abada who's a future asset that Celtic will want to sell Hitate who's likely in the same boat Ralston is getting rewarded for being you know a, a a product of the academy who's very valuable to the club because of the European rules in in UEFA um and it's and and then you, you're probably looking at Cameron Carter-Vickers as probably a, a player that you'd like to tie down to another date. And what, what I see it as is that you are tying these really important players down to long-term deals so that you're not losing money on the future talents and you're also rewarding uh, the more experienced and uh, more valuable members of the, the team. So then you have a strong core of six, seven players within the squad who have long-term deals and then they are basically 
the core members of the squad and everyone else is sort of expendable beyond that point. Everyone else is upgradable uh, beyond that point. So I think if you're able to get your core members up in your wage structure, that means you're going to be able to bring in more players. So instead of bringing in the younger players who are earning, you know, five, two to five thousand pounds a week, which is a lot of money to a normal person. It's not a lot of money in football. You're not getting very strong players for that amount of money. You're going to be able to bring in the 10 to 15 to the 15 to 20,000 a week players, which is an improvement on what Celtic currently have. So I do think it's probably slower than most people would want and probably not as aggressive as Celtic potentially could be. But if that, you know, three to four years down the line leads to us being uh, a more steady and steadfast team in Europe who's can, can all, always competing at Champions League level, at least in the group stages, then it's probably going to be worth it. But as a Celtic supporter, the history does not show that the club is capable of planning that far ahead. And it is generally a yo-yo system of bringing in good players, selling a couple, and then having to rebuild the entire squad. Uh, after three to four years of a manager. So I completely see both sides of the 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 coin in terms of the the transfer structure. But um yeah, I in terms of Hatate though, is is he good enough, James? <laughs> I mean he's he's good enough domestically, clearly. Um I'm still skeptical as a midfielder playing at Celtic in Europe. Um, that he brings enough to the table in his all-around game. Um, I'm not sure that he is efficient enough with his creativity um, to offset his um, defensive and pressing deficiencies, or, you know, I'll be charitable and say mediocrities. Um, I, I've, you know, I've, I've talked to a few people. I mean, I, I still think that at that level, um, something like an inverted fullback uh, could suit him in, in an attacking side where he's playing deeper and can use his pace and, and carrying of the ball. Um, I, I just, I, I don't, I'm not sure I see how he is a, a threat going forward in a sense of like a number 10 um, consistent enough at, at, at the European level um, given those kind of defensive efficiencies. So I don't, you know that that's been uh, that's been my case the, the the entire time. I haven't seen anything to really change that. Um, so, you know that that's the other part of this is it's I, I don't I don't see him as that cornerstone European player um, where you know if I was going to uh, round up like Cameron Carter Vickers, okay, yes, um, like late Europa League. And that's really the threshold. I think Alan shares that view. That's kind of the the aspirational. You know, we we would routinely be in like the last sixteen of the Europa League. Like I think that's where we reasonably should be targeting as as a club. Um, so I think Carter Vickers could be that type of player, all around player at that level. And I think that's the type of player that we would be striving for. Um, and I remain skeptical that that Hatate is. Mm -hmm. So we'll move on to Celtics general play, because I think it's been quite an interesting season so far an inconsistent season uh, so far and lots of improvements since the start of the, <laughs> the season where Celtic, let's face it, we're just not very good. And um, we, we touched on a couple of the issues, Alan, over the last couple of minutes in terms of what was going wrong ball retention didn't look like Celtic had much of a plan but um, it seems to be starting to take shape a little bit now they're not giving the ball away as much there's some fluidity in the play players who weren't very good at the start of the season they're starting to play into themselves a bit now there's still there's still obviously a few bits to iron out and I do think there is um, a little bit of an issue with Kyogo's role especially in Europe seems to be isolating him a bit, but uh, there's some definite positives from the season. So as is as, as not the norm on this show, let's talk about some of the positives with uh, Celtics play over the course of the season. Um, I guess Matt O'Reilly is probably the jumping off point, right? So like his role is different this year and it is 
definitely getting the best at him. Yeah, and, and he's definitely the more the profile of the kind of midfielder that Celtic need to be successful in Europe. And you know, where he was has been particularly impressive in the last three games away from home. So the, the game at Ibrox, the game in Rotterdam and the game at the weekend at Livingston. So all three of those games were difficult for different reasons. Uh, what you saw with O'Reilly is um, generally defensive excellence and also choosing his moments when to attack. So that decision-making of when to break into the box, but also you're getting a high volume and a high efficiency of defensive actions. You're seeing him in the box, you're seeing him getting on the end of chances. And that that turning it really turning into a genuine all-round uh, midfielder, um, you know, which is, which is a rare commodity indeed. Um, uh, you know, let's face it, he's never going to have that high-end pace, but he has got a bit of physicality about him. You know, he is sort of six foot. He's he is these bloody great feet of his that he manages to get in the way and nick the ball from people. Um, he's strong enough, um, and te- technically he's he's excellent. So, and and, just, and but most importantly, it, it's it's um, it's his his cognitive abilities which seem to be fantastic of uh, playing football certainly. Um, so, yeah, he's definitely been the standout in terms of players that are really push forward quite a lot. But but actually, to me, the start. I mentioned those three difficult away games, I brought Livingston. The, to me, the star of the show in those three games was our highest paid employee, which is the manager. And in, in each of those games, um, you know, he's he's set up well initially the team, um, and he's managed the uh, the game very well and the games very well. I brought, um, you know, I think we 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 did conclude. <laughs> James and I, uh, much as we didn't want to, that really it, it was eighty percent down to Mickey Beale's incompetence and twenty percent Rogers. But when they finally sorted themselves out a little bit and started moving the ball a bit quicker and had to be a bit more aggressive in that second half, what Rogers did in terms of his little bit of magic dust that he put on proceedings was to keep the forwards high and wide and keep and, and keep three up front. And he really did. Uh, actually, uh, that that should have with, with more efficient forwards. You know, um, we we should have probably nicked a couple of goals in the second half. A good European team, you'd have been walking away with a three nil win, uh, probably a two nil mm. win uh, from that game um, against Rotterdam against Feyenoord. You know, they, we talked about the original setup. It was we were probably uh, we, were, we were nice and compact. Um, you know, we, we were staying together as a team, and no, there wasn't the attacking cohesion, but we limited them to virtually nothing in attack bar a few long shots at goal and a few hopeful crosses into the box and you know what can you, what can you do when you go down to nine players it's an impossible situation um, and then at the weekend again he had to he had to adjust to um, you know um, adversity when the goalkeeper gets sent off after 28 minutes um, and again as I say what he did was he kept he stayed bold he moved Maeda and Kyogo he kept two up front kept but he, but he kept them wide, knowing that they were going to be able to occupy the whole of the back, the back four players at that time. Um, he pushed Greg Taylor, he kept Greg, well, he pushed, he kept Greg Taylor more or less as a left-sided midfielder, squeezed Alistair Johnson in a little bit, kept it nice and positive, and Celtic pretty much dominated the second half, actually. You know, the he dominated. They did create a few chances. Their quality was poor. You know, the, a better team might have punished Celtic, to be honest with you. So, you know, listen, yeah. I think, so Rogers, I think, has added value in all the games. And for me, he's been the sort of man of the matches, if you like, in those three big away games. Um, but that's not to say that in each of these games, we've conceded over one XG, well over one XG, and we're continuing to cough up chances. And, you know, we're well under goals XG. And you've got to think at some point we we're going to suffer for that. But you have to take the context of playing two out of eight games with, with a depleted team, you've got to take into context the, the centre-half situation. Because, you know, as, as much as we all love Liam Scales, and he has been no, admirable. No, 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 uh, no, the, no, no. The, reality, the reality is, the reality is, Lager Bielk is getting punished for his errors and Scales isn't. That, that is the reality of it. Scales, he is making mistakes. He's not getting punished from them. He's, he's doing a good, steady job. Lager Bielk is... <laughs> Uh, you know, horrible moments and, and not getting away with them. You know, we seem to have quite a few in each game. Um, it, you know, it's, it's a centre-half bearing. Um, you know, Joe Hart has cost us in Rotterdam, almost cost us in Livingston. 
I think we've got away with it so far in terms of just XG shots, chances, etc. I don't know that we, we will continue to do so, but we will get stronger. Obviously, as more mm. experienced, better defenders come back, and uh, you know, I think we will get stronger. Now, I will say that one thing that has bothered me, but more because I don't know if it's a tactic or if it's just him as a player. Um, Liam Skills has been very aggressive in terms of um, attacking balls, following players into the midfield, um, coming out of position to go after the ball. And I do not know whether that's a specific order from Brendan Rodgers or if that's just Liam Skills going to get a bit rogue. And it's not the, something that I'm going to be able to defend for much longer unless I know that he's been told to do that by uh, Brendan Rodgers. But it's it doesn't look like his game, let's be honest with you. I mean, it's, you know, it's listen, it's early days, but, you know, I don't want to burst your balloon or anything, Ender, but it's, again, you know, I've got a framework for evaluating centre-halves, and his defensive action success rate is 70%. He's, he loses quite a lot of headers for such a big guy. And like you say, he's, he's been very aggressive, and by aggressive we mean, yes, you know, on the front foot, which is good, Starfelt was like that, but it has its downside. It means you get caught under the ball, you get caught out of position. And and his and his defensive numbers, you know, are if you're looking at like a Carter Vickers, you're looking at so eighty percent defensive action success rate, scales and possession one through defensive actions, you're looking at eighty five plus scales of seventy three. I mean, those those are going to be mm. it's a very small sample, you know. He may he may bring that up, but that that's right at the bottom right hand corner of centre halves. I'm afraid to, to say. Well, um. I still think he starts over Lagerbielka. I'm just going to say that. If there's one of them going to be dropped, it's going to be Lagerbielka. But um, James, we spoke about the difference between Rodgers and Ange before the start of the season. And one of the key factors that you certainly didn't like about Ange at the time was his inability to, or his, not, not his inability, but his, his unwillingness to change the system to suit the game and to adjust uh, to the opposition. He was very forthright in the way that he played in Europe. Brendan Rodgers is not that. He has changed things. He's changed the shape for Europe. He's changed the style of play for for Livingston. He was able to adjust uh, for the 10 men, where Ange would have essentially just said, okay, let's just continue to bombard them in the same way, Um, which, I mean, he got success that way. He won a a treble. He won uh, two league titles in a row. There is success in the way that Ange approached things but I guess when you look at the, the Feyenoord game down to nine men although Celtic did um, did concede four goals in that game it did end 2-0 and it was a different t- type of performance that Celtic have put in in Europe so I mean we are seeing sort of the fruits of the different various uh, managers that we've had over the last couple of years now Without a doubt, and I think that um, the, that's the encouraging part of, um, as, as Alan talked about, is I, I think uh, th- we have three most valuable um, components so far this season. Um, one is Rodgers. I agree with Alan on that. Um, I'd probably say Matt O'Reilly is number two in the totality of his game and how good he's been. Kyogo's been very good, but you know, he's just, he's not as three-dimensional as far as the phases of the play because of his position. Um, and the, the third one is opposition finishing has been dreadful. Um, and that we, we actually have that in, in uh, statistical evidence of that. Um, so between those, you know, two, two of those are, you know, one, you can't really control directly. Um, and the other one I think is, encouraging relative to Europe, but I, I kind of think it's a push or maybe a slight negative domestically. And I think that's because um, the way Ange played was so suffocating uh, against the domestic opposition. And I, I think Rogers, despite his ability and willingness to adjust, that's not foolproof. I mean, that sometimes you adjust and you don't improve things. You maybe get things mm-hmm. worse. Um so, I mean, I think generally he's good at it, but, you know, I think it's it's unreasonable that people are going to have perfection in that regard. And I just think from a style of play perspective, um, you know, we saw it during his first tenure outside of the first uh, season, which, again, there was some there was some variant positive variance there as far as, um, you know, risks of dropping points. And, and I think that that's um, 
last season was fortunate because opposition keepers were dreadful in a disproportionately insane way against us. Um, this year, we're, that's reverted back. So we're, we were actually getting some decent keeper play against us. The pendulum has swung in the other way now, which is the opposition teams are not finishing at all. <laughs> Will that persist for a whole season like it did last season um, abnormally relative to opposition keepers? I, that would be wonderful given um, the state that Joe Hart appears to be in, <laughs> um, but probably not, you know, realistic. Uh, so we're, we're going to need everything out of Rogers given the level of recruitment that we've had and the injuries, I think in order to, um, you know, to, to get to where I think collectively we want to get domestically, which at this point is the double. So um, we're, we're going to need Rogers uh, continuing to be that kind of most valuable component um, if, if we're going to get there. Yeah. Well, he seems to be getting a bit of his swagger back, which is nice to see he's a little bit more fiery in the press conferences rather than the sort of down in the dubs that he seemed to be the first couple of weeks. So, uh, that's always nice to see. I genuinely nearly burst out laughing in the middle of your uh, your your answer there, and it wasn't it wasn't because of you. There's a a comment for some reason. There's been a, a few comments in the YouTube tonight of guys talking about their dogs and what kind of dogs they have, and uh, Sean the Mac comment saying uh, the next door neighbors have a one legged German Shepherd called Vape. Every so often they take him out for a drag. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the level of uh that's the level of humor that makes uh this gets a good laugh out of me so that i wasn't laughing at you i was laughing at that comment so um i think that's where we'll end the show for this evening Um that's as good a place as any to be honest uh star magnus rages outside the the window here alan i hope it's not too bad over where you are mm, I, I think we're i think we're okay i think we're okay under the, the... The um the the whoosh of wind, the speed of flame scales running and training doesn't quite reach us this far south. <laughs> well, I'm I'm just I'm just off to actually just do the latest bit of PR for him over the next couple of days to make sure he he stays in the Celtic starting lineup um for the foreseeable, despite potentially a few people being back from injury in the next couple of weeks. So I think you know I think we we can keep him there. The, you know, it's a couple of big games coming up, but I think we can we can manage it. If you are interested, by the way, Celtics opposition in Europe next week, Lazio are currently in action and they are winning one nil away at Torino. Um I I guess it it puts everybody at ease to see Atletico Madrid uh beat uh Real Madrid in the uh, Madrid Derby at the start of the week. So yeah. That's that's definitely made, made me feel comfortable about playing them in a couple of weeks' time, um, and yeah. So well, the other thing I would say is don't overlook Motherwell. I think uh, Motherwell's played pretty well this season. Um, you know, historically they have not been as bunkering um, as they could be, particularly um, at at, at uh, the the way fixture for Celtics. So, um, but yeah, they they've been pretty decent so far this season and they actually have a recruitment team and you know given their resources have done a, a pretty decent job in running that club so um so, uh saturday i think it's saturday yeah um yeah may, 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 wouldn't i, I wouldn't know, overlook you wouldn't know given, you wouldn't know given the complete blanket lack of coverage of any scottish football this weekend you know no, there'll be about I mean, a thousand celtic fans it's ludicrous uh, elsewhere, there is Scottish football in action tonight in the uh, League Cup in the playoffs. And if you want to uh, see why Alan persists with his honest mistakes articles on Celtic by numbers, just go and look at uh, Rangers' first goal against Livingston there because it's a fucking disgrace, to be honest. Listen, all they're doing is keeping wee Mickey in a job, so we've got to be grateful about that. That's true. That's true. All right. That is where we will park the live stream for uh, this evening. Alan, James, thanks very much. And thanks to everybody who is uh, commenting on the, uh, on the YouTube. If you are commenting, but you're not subscribing, do hit subscribe. And uh, if you want to get the podcast, it'll be uploaded uh, shortly after this. So you can get that wherever you get your podcast and we shall chat to you all later. Good luck. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 